This is episode 135 of the Relate Podcast on social impact through film with Sheila Andreen. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to yet another episode of the Relate Podcast. So happy to have you all joining us today. We have a great episode for you all. We are talking with the CEO and co-founder of IndieFlix, Sheila Andreen. She is also a director and executive producer for a wide variety of different films. And today we talk specifically about her mental health trilogy films, which are Angst, Like, and The Upstandards. We talk about the impact that technology is having on our world today, specifically on mental health. In this episode, Sheila talks to us about elevating storytellers, representing who you are, how being clear makes you fearless, and how film, for her, is the most powerful medium in the world. Sheila has been recognized by Screening International's Women to Watch and Variety's Women's Impact Report, and she is also a popular speaker at Sundance, South by Southwest Women in Film, and Mental Health Summits. Sheila is just a fountain of knowledge in this episode. I think that all of you tuning in will really learn a lot, and I highly recommend checking out IndieFlix as soon as this episode is done. If you like this episode and you feel like it will resonate with someone, perhaps a friend or family member of yours who would really need to listen to Sheila's message, please send it their way. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review, let me know your thoughts. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of Relate, Sheila Andreen. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Relate Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Sheila Andreen. Sheila, thanks so much for being with us on the show today. Oh, thanks, Patrick, for having me. I'm very excited to have you on this show because as many of our listeners know, I kind of straddle two worlds a little bit. I I straddle the the entertainment world, being an actor, very interested in storytelling. And then I also straddle this world of technology and specifically technology today, how to use technology more mindfully, practicing digital wellness, really trying to figure out ways in which we can really think critically about the way in which technology affects our society. And you being a filmmaker and the the founder of IndieFlix and really starting to address the issues that technology is presenting in our world today falls perfectly in the greater theme of what this podcast is about regarding the importance of human connection and relationships in our digital age. So thanks so much for being here. 
Oh, I, I'm excited to have this conversation. It's what I do every day. So I love talking about it. So I'm wondering if you could just start off by sharing with our listeners a little bit about yourself and really what led you onto the path that you're pursuing today? Ooh, that's a really big question. Um, <clears throat> how much time have we got? <laughs> oh, we uh, got plenty of time at the moment. I think, you know, I'll, I'll just sort of kind of scratch the surface, which is I get asked a lot in the like Q and A's or when I'm introducing films, especially like the mental health trilogy, angst, like, and the upstanders, you know, how is it that I came to make mental health films and take them out into community? And then of course, bringing them out into the world. And I actually, uh, I'm a filmmaker by trade. I started off in costume design and producing and then moved into directing. And of course, then started getting involved in distribution and helping filmmakers monetize their content. But I've always felt that film is for me the most powerful medium on the planet. I think about the movies that influenced my life, that helped to shape who I am, that honestly like helped define my values. Um, just so interesting. I was an only child for 10 years. So I, I watched a lot of TV. I spent a lot of time alone. And so between books and and movies and TV, that's kind of like really what helped to define me. But um, I, you know, I made a lot of different films and, and worked on a lot of great TV shows. I did The Wonder Years and Party of Five and Dawson's Creek and Smallville and kind of the list goes on. And I had worked with great writers and actors. And um, when I had started Indie Flicks, um, I was taking film out into, you know, into this sort of just B to C streaming to, to customers, but then, or audience members, but then started taking films into schools, social impact films. And a friend of mine had said, you need to make some movies about mental health. And I was just like, no, I'm, I'm not touching that. That is, it feels heavy and depressing. It feels like it should be made by <clears throat> a licensed professional. And so I didn't. And uh, I worked with her, she was a childhood friend. She helped me on my foundation. And about a year later, I got a call on New Year's morning that she had died by suicide. And you know, she had two kids and she was married. And I just sort of thought, I knew she was struggling, but I didn't know it was to that degree. Um, so I just dove into the deep end and decided to make a movie about mental health. And I thought, where do, I, where do you start? <clears throat> and so I realized everyone has anxiety and I also thought we got to make like make it a movie. We have to make a movie about mental health, and somehow we got to make it cool to watch it. So, um, angst is that movie, and in making angst, it came up. You know, why is anxiety on the rise? And a lot of people felt strongly that it was because of social media and because of the role of technology in our lives now. And I really wanted to explore that conversation, so I immediately went into making like. And like is like was really fun to make, and I learned so much. And then in making like, it came up: Why are people so mean online when they wouldn't be that way in person? Why is it that if we are so connected, why do we feel so disconnected? Why are suicide rates up? Why, like, what's going on here? So I really wanted to understand that and peel the layers back and look at that. Um, and that film, The Upstanders, I kind of dove into it to to make a film about bullying and ended up making a movie about resilience and community and belonging. 
and connection. So, um, and then we have another one about <laughs> addressing and ending sexual harassment, which is called Nevertheless. And now I've just started shooting um, race, which is all about the impact of, of race and racism on our mental health. Wow, it's amazing. I, I think I, I'm really inspired by the work that you're creating and addressing very important societal issues that our world's facing today. And it's evident in the way that you speak about your projects that you're very passionate about telling these stories. And I'm curious, really from going, I guess going back a little bit from all these great films you've created, as you mentioned previously before, you had started your work in Hollywood and the entertainment industry as a costume designer. And so what, and you actually, you had a great amount of credits to your name as well. I know you were also nominated for an Emmy. What was it that made you decide to change course from being a costume to designer to working as a producer and a director? Well, I've always wanted to produce and direct and I was on great shows and I always was, became very close to the directors and the writers. Um, you know, when you, the Wonder Years was my first uh, episodic series and we would get those scripts and I would read them and I'd literally like, I'd be filled with so much emotion and I would cry and it was, you know, it was half hour um, episodic, which was, sort, which was really different for the time because usually then, you know, in those days and even now it was, it was a one hour. But the, um, oh my God, I was so moved by all the stories and it just made me want to do more than just costume design, even though costume design is great. And, um, you know, I ended up writing some scripts, but they never got produced. I was always shadowing directors. <clears throat> and I just really always felt like it was like, my turn was going to come at some point, but then like the show would end and I'd go to a new show as the costume designer and start to the process all over again. So I, I kind of got fed up and I went off and started uh, producing and directing my own like short films, then went into feature films. Never dreamed I'd go into social impact, sort of the documentary space. Um, I didn't even watch documentaries in those days. Like I was all about narrative. Uh, you know, just, I liked episodic TV shows. And now of course I can barely watch anything except documentaries. And um, there's so much freedom in documentaries. There's also a lot of fear because you don't have a script. You don't know what you're going to get. There's so much you it's just, it's very organic. And then it comes together in the editing room and um, you have to really trust your heart. So the, it, the, the reason, the, my pivot, my shift from sort of having my fingers in creating content, but then jumping into like really going into running my own company and leaving costume design, I was, I won't say the name of the actress, but I was working with a very high maintenance, very high profile actress on a big Disney pilot. And she wanted a $150 thong. And yet she was playing a mom in jeans and sweatshirts. And oh, she had no. a $150 thong. And I was, I had called all over the world. I had you know, I said, we will make one. No, she wanted this one from this company in France, but they'd gone out of business years ago. She felt that Neiman's or Barney's or Saks or one of them had to have it in back stock somewhere. I was searching the globe for it, couldn't find it. The first day of shooting, she really wanted me to do one last effort of finding it. I'm a people pleaser. I was in my car driving around Beverly Hills, 
like a bat out of hell. The sun was in my eyes. I went to make a turn and I almost hit somebody, a pedestrian, who ended up slamming their hands on my hood and said, watch where you're going. And I just thought, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I almost killed somebody. I have lost track of what's important to me because I'm looking for something that doesn't exist, that's absurd to begin with. And this is my life. And I must have, I've got to dig deep and there must be something more that I can contribute into the world. So I decided right then and there that I was going to, um, I'd been toying with this idea of wanting to help filmmakers because I'd been taking short films and feature films that I was making and going around the festival circuit, seeing all this great content that wasn't getting out into the world. And I thought that's something I'm passionate about. And I decided right then and there to start a new flicks. Well, what I really love about that is that as artists, it's, it's often talked about that the, the importance of creating our own work. And so you not only did that for yourself through creating your own short and independent films, but you then created this platform to elevate the work of artists as well who are working on their own short and independent films. And so I, I love this because it's, it's so important as creatives that we really invest in ourselves, invest in the work that we're creating, and also invest in the stories that we want to tell as well. And so was that really why you created IndieFlix was to really elevate the work of those who you had a lot of commonality with in kind of going through the process of creating shorts and independent films? Yeah, Patrick, you just phrased that beautifully. That is, I mean, my, so one of my best friends, Carlos Scanduzzi and I started IndieFlix together and with exactly how you phrased that question, with that mission to help other storytellers, other artists, other filmmakers get their stories out into the world. We just had recognized that there was, um, that Hollywood only had so much bandwidth and filmmakers were kind of untethered. They didn't have like a path forward if you didn't get scooped up at a festival, then you kind of didn't have an opportunity in life. And, and that just, you know, when you know that filmmakers are such deeply passionate people, right? Like they'll mortgage their home, they'll sacrifice everything to make their art. And then no one gets to see it outside the festival. That was that I, I just felt like we could do more. Even though I myself didn't know what I was doing. I, I was really naive. I literally, like that, oh, we should just hang a shingle and call it good, right? Like, we'll just open up this little shop and, and, and we'll cover the expense of getting content up there. People will come in droves and they'll wanna see it. I, I had no idea that I was embarking on a journey that would take me to like the lowest, deepest, below sea level parts of my life to the greatest, you know, sort of like <laughs> uh, upper echelons of like the the, the most tenderest branches at the top of the very top mountain, right? Like talk about a roller coaster of, of life experience. Well, it must be amazing now to reflect back and to see what IndieFlix has become. It really is more than just a streaming platform in a lot of ways, or at least how I'm reading it, is that it's a movement of sorts, a, a movement through the lens of film. And I think I was reading a couple of years ago that you, in a lot of ways, shifted the focus of IndieFlix to be more uh, edutainment, 
to, uh, as you mentioned before, creating like this social uh, movement platform. And was this in large part because of the story you had mentioned earlier, that, that tragic story about your friend, or were there also a lot of other components that led you to this decision? I had, you know, as the CEO of IndieFlix, you go through, we, you know, the, the streaming um, industry, the, the, the film industry, uh, you know, when it went into streaming, first it was download, download to own. Um, there was these different sort of time periods. There was a time period where it was really about, um, and we were initially DVD on demand, launched with 36 titles, went, you know, suddenly had like 700 titles. Then it became a, kind of an arms race with, with title count. That's what made you successful. That's what gave you value. At one point we had over 12,000 titles with worldwide rights, non-exclusive, rev share. And you know, we may have wanted to grow the library and we wanted those three particular films, but in order to take those three, the distributor of those three films said, you've got to take these other 40. Even though they weren't what we wanted, it wasn't who we were, but we'd take them anyway, because that's how we could get the three we wanted. And the thing is you do that enough times, you start to build up a lot of content that it really didn't represent who we were. And so I couldn't be very effective at marketing all of the different types of content that we had. I also couldn't figure out what to watch. So it was really challenging. We also, you know, it, it's going up again. And then as the streaming business started to grow, you know, it was, we didn't have the finances to be able to compete. And here I had this massive library and I didn't know what to watch. And I just thought, you know what, I'm either going down with what I believe in or, you know, or I'm going home. And so, or, you know, or we might win doing what we believe in. <laughs> so um, we basically, um, I decided to pivot the company to be edutainment focused. I really wanted content that, uh, and trust me, I like watching those drug cartels and, and serial killer movies and heists, like love all that stuff. But I just thought, you know, there's so much of that. Why don't we just focus on the things I'm super passionate about, which is social impact, um, things that bring us together, content that gets conversations going. It's not all like warm and fuzzy. It's not all documentaries. There's all kinds of content there that really gets us thinking. So brought our title count down to about 4,000 4, titles. And um, now we have about 44 or 4,500 titles. Just started to focus at shorts, features, documentaries, web series, uh, TV series, like everything that's focused on edutainment. And that was actually one of the most proudest moments. I think filmmakers were, some were really angry with me. My, um, some of my investors thought I was nuts, you know, like, but I just thought this is the right thing to do. And it was game changing for us. It really did kind of clean everything up. New submissions started coming in of content that was much more something that I could relate to, that I could promote, that I would want to help get out there into the world. I felt like we got back to our roots. Yeah. Well, I, I think what, what's amazing about it is uh, I, th I think you, you use the term uh, representing the importance of representing who you are. And it's very clear with, with what you've built that what your, what your mission is, what your why is, so to speak, as to why you're doing the, this work that you're doing. And I would love to talk more about the, the three films, the, the trilogy that you've created of angst, like, and the upstandards, and 
what inspired those? I know we, we talked a little bit about this briefly at the beginning of our conversation, but I guess my question would be, why create films like this? Why is this trilogy so important? As I said, I went into this kicking and screaming. I didn't have any information. I was definitely, you know, I'm half Chinese. We don't talk about mental health in, in our culture. Um, and I'm Swedish too. We don't talk about mental health on that side of the family either. Um, so we just didn't talk about it. I mean, it was in my head, it was cuckoo's nest, right? Like it was, um, yeah, a girl interrupted. I saw that, but that, you know, that wasn't the majority of people. Like I just didn't really give it any attention. So when my friend died, it really opened up my world. I started to hear stories about, you know, a senior in a wonderful school that got into a scholarship to a great college who, who ended his life by suicide. Like there was all these, all of a sudden it was coming to the surface and, you know, diving into that a little bit because of guilt, a little bit because of just needing to channel my grief and learning so much and realizing how important it is and how simple it is to make a difference and even to the degree of saving lives if we could just start talking about things. And I realized how disconnected we were as a human race. I realized we are moving so fast. We are so caught up in our, you know, in our phones and our technology. And I just, I thought, okay, I became more passionate and more driven and more clear than I think I've ever felt in my life, which gave me that, you know, it makes you fearless when you're, um, when you get super clear on something, because it doesn't matter if you fail, you just know that you are on a mission. And, you know, I, when people were saying technology is so, is really, you know, damaging us, that kind of scared me because I really love technology. I love that I can push a button on my phone and a car shows up to pick me up. I love that I can, I'm never going to be lost. I can push a button and figure out exactly where I need to go. Right. I love like, I love that I can play a game. I love that I can connect with someone. I love that I know what's going on in my, my community, even though I'm 10,000 miles away. I just, I love that I can translate something that's said to me. And so I feel like I can go anywhere in the world and make my, find my way. I don't want technology to go away. And I didn't like the conversations that we're having. I also, you know, social media, I, I felt firsthand and saw it, the addictive sort of aspects of it, but also saw firsthand as I, we shared in like, you know, we have six kids and, um, you know, we, we lost one of our children uh, to cancer. And, you know, social media, we did a crowdfunding campaign. That was really, that was social media at its best, right? And feeling more love and more support and more compassion in our world than we didn't, than we could have ever known was possible. That we ended that, you know, that chapter in our lives we, it, we moved into the next chapter filled with more love than we thought possible. And so therefore more love to give. So there's so much good in, in social media, but it's we as human beings need to be better people online and, and with this device, with the power that we have. So I just thought, and then the upstanders, well, that was a total surprise because I was so bullied as a kid growing up in Breckenridge, Colorado. I was the only kid of color. I don't know how that happened, but... Um, at the Summit County school system. And I mean, the kids hated me because I was half Chinese. They, 
would, it was the old fashioned kind of bullying where they, you know, like spit on me, kicked me, smashed my lunch, tore up my homework, locked wow. me in a closet in the third grade classroom and left me there for half a day. Like, and I made a promise to that girl in the closet, that third grade girl, that if, if there was the, the, my greatest desire was that I would never want anyone to feel what I was feeling. And that if they had just, if these people could just get to know me, they wouldn't hate me so much. I wouldn't, I didn't think they would like me, but I didn't think they'd hate me. Um, and it, so making the upstanders, I was realizing that I was fulfilling that promise to that third grade girl and learned so much, learned so much about, I'm a big, like, I like brain science. I like action items. I have a short attention span and I'm impatient. So I want to make change quickly. I'm that kind of person, like, really, I can lose 10 pounds in a weekend? Let's try it, right? <laughs> of course, it doesn't work like that. We know that. But I thought, how can we start disrupting our own behavior? How can we change our own patterns? How can we, as human beings, without changing policy and government and platforms to do it for us, how can we take our power, our voice, our choice, and start making a difference in our own life right now and in the lives of others near, to, near us? So that was, that's always been sort of the driving factor is after you watch this 45 to 55 minute movie and have a quick conversation, how can you be changed forever? Yeah, that's the goal. I love that so much. It's so important. And I think that you bring up a good point about how, how can we think critically to ourselves about disrupting our own behavior and really taking personal responsibility for the ways in which we interact and use technology. Of course, in a lot of the ways it's designed, it, that makes it difficult. But I think that if we put the habit in place and the practices and motions in place, really in a lot of ways, self-care habits in a lot of sense, then we could really, to put your words, uh, disrupt our behavior. And I think what's great about your films is that it really sheds light on how, how these technologies are impacting our everyday lives at a, at a really critical scale. And so with that said, I want to go back to something that you said very early in our conversation about film being the most powerful medium. What is it about film for you that makes it such a powerful medium for either telling stories or implementing change, whatever it might be in general? Well, and I will say, I, 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 I kind of float back and forth between like music and movies or, or, you know, moving picture. And, um, but also like, I'm, I'm just as affected and changed by photographs or art, painting, sculpture, poetry, ugh, plays. I mean, my God, that human experience. But film for some reason has a way of the disseminating process, right? Like the, the medium itself can reach masses. When I have been in, had the great honor to be in auditoriums where we were at capacity, maybe 2,800 people. And we showed one of our films and we're even having a, you know, a 45 minute Q and A after the energy in the room, the healing, the, the coming together. And then it, it's so powerful. So film, you know, it's, I guess it's simply a numbers game, right? High volume. And you see it, you feel it, you hear it. 
and you walk away. I mean, that was one of the biggest things with angst was how do we talk about mental health? Or we have to go in deep and we have to look at the ugly stuff, right? We have to look at the things that are really going on. Those statistics are really scary. And when you start thinking, how do we talk about something but leave with a good feeling? And in the, you know, in the Chinese culture, when you go to a funeral, there's always candy everywhere. Uh, they don't want you to leave with a bitter taste in your mouth. They want you to leave with a sweet taste in your mouth because this person was very special and you know, it leaves a good feeling. So I kind of took that philosophy and thought, let's go look at the brain science. Let's go look at the reality, but then let's leave with something that feels good. And how do we do that? So that's, that, that's what I make sure is in all of the movies is hope, actionable hope, and that feeling, because that feeling helps you remember, because we've just doused you with so much information and brain science that you could be swirling in it, right? So when we end it, we end it very simply with things you can do, actually changes your brain and can really affect your life in a positive way. And it feels good. Yeah, I, I love that about the, at least the, the film set of yours that I've watched so far is that there is this element of hope to it at the end that, yes, there are these issues. Because I think uh, at least some people that I've talked to in this world, sometimes it's painted as this very doom and gloom scenario that, okay, we're screwed basically. But what I really love about your films is that, yes, it highlights these problems. It shows that, yes, they are very prevalent but that we can do something to change it, that there is hope, that there is a positive outlook down the line. And I think what makes these films so powerful is that no matter who's watching, or, or at least I would imagine, is that we watch these films and we think, oh, okay, that, that could be me or that could be my family. This, this could happen in my life. I think that no matter who you are, because technology is such a huge part of so many people's lives now, and I mean, especially with the pandemic, especially, I think that films like this really allow us to, to think and to also relate. And I think that would be my next question is, uh, how do you believe that, that film allows us to better relate to each other because it's being modeled for us we're seeing other human beings acting in a way that is showing us how we can be you know it's that whole thing if you don't see it you can't be it it's why we need you know diversity in you know uh in leadership and you know it's it's kind of that simple I think some of the biggest feedback we got from angst in our feedback screenings was, I just made it for like schools and educators and kids to be able to watch and kind of open up the conversation and parents too. But we had so many parents who said, that was me growing up. Like, I wish this film was around when I was growing up, I wouldn't have self-medicated so much or put my parents or myself through so much hell. You know, like we heard a lot of that. And then we also heard a lot of parents saying, I wish you would put more um, conversations in the film of parents trying to talk to their kids who are clearly struggling, but don't want, but won't talk to them. Be and it, which, which part of it is just dealing with a teen. There's a little bit of just that as a foundational piece. But now when you throw in all the anxiety aspect and depression, um, 
how do parents navigate that? And they wish that there was even more of that. We already had some of that in there, but they wanted more. And I didn't, you know, like I had a little girl say, she stood up, she was nine, and she stood up in one of our early screenings and she said, thank you for making this film. I really want my dad to see it so he knows I'm not making this up. Wow. Um, you know, we had, or my friends to see it so they know kind of more understanding of what I'm going through. And it was great for not just young kids, but anybody who's had trouble speaking up. It's really scary to speak up, right? So they could just point. I'm that kid who washes their hands 25,000 times a day. I'm that kid who just thinks that the worst is always going to happen and I'm terrified to walk out the door. I'm that, like, it was even grownups could say, I was that person, right? Like, and it was just so simple to point to it. And then people could relate. Do you know that now that I've made angst and they're like, I'm known as like the, the girl who made that mental health movie. I have literally like on the spot therapy sessions for 10 minutes in the frozen food section of the store, standing on the street in the rain at like school events or wherever it is. Suddenly it's like, Oh my God, do you know that I was suicidal for three years? What I couldn't leave. My mother was this. And I'm like, you go, we go deep dive wow. everywhere all the time. And my kids are like, mom, please don't go all Oprah on everybody. It's not a fair question. Just talk about the weather, you know? And it's like, okay, we'll try to keep it light. Um, but people feel so good opening up. It's, it's, you feel like I'm normal. I'm not, it's not just me. And so I, I model these, you know, it's, it's funny because we wouldn't get, we couldn't get into a festival, a film festival to save our lives. Like, oh, well, this isn't really a real movie. It's like, okay, that's fine. This is just me, tell my style of filmmaking, expressing ourselves. We also didn't fit in as an educational film. You know, oh, well, you're too much of a story. You're too, you should be in film festivals. You, this isn't an educational film. So it was really interesting uh, that we, like me growing up, didn't fit into any world in particular. So I just thought, well, I believe in it. We're taking it out. We're showing it in schools. Angst has been screened in, we've had over 10,000 screenings in 90 countries. That's amazing. And, oh my gosh. Wow. Well, these, I'm not, it's funny because people know me as that mom up in Seattle who does those little school screenings. I'm like, yep, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but you own it, I'm sure. I used to say, well, we actually, I used to defend it and say, well, actually, we, we you know, yes, they're little school screenings. They can range from, you know, you know, every classroom, you know, parents, educators, coffees, you know, that whole thing for a week in a school, we reach three to 4,000 people. Sometimes it's just 60 people. You know, if you put all that in a theater, that's a lot of people. When you put it into 90 countries, that's a lot of people. When you, you know, subtitle into 15 languages and you dub it into Spanish and you create materials and activities and resources and test your knowledge quizzes and now curriculums around it, you know, you're, it's, it's more than just little school screenings, um, but it's not sexy, but it does good in the world. So, and now since COVID, where we were doing like 150 community screenings every month, somewhere in the world, we're now doing them all online and having online community screenings and reaching more people than ever. So now we've sort of shifted, launched a new app where we will have all of our community events all of our live, like we can do now live events where I can interview filmmakers. I can talk about their work on climate change or empowerment or sexual harassment or whatever, and then point to the movie. 
I've also made IndieFlix free. So now there, it's free with ads or you can pay, you know, $69 and be behind the paywall without ads. But the nice thing is, is that we're, we're able to offer it so that everyone can access the content and build. I, I just want to build community with movies. Right, right. I'm, make the world I, better. I'm right there with you on that. I think that it really is amazing what you've created, the fact that you've had so many screenings around so many different countries and that, as you just mentioned, there's this communal aspect that's at the heart of it, which is so important nowadays. I think that with the pandemic, it's very easy for people to feel isolated, to feel lonely, and having some sort of community could really overall improve our happiness, especially when it's talking about very serious issues like you discuss in your film. So uh, Sheila, I cannot thank you enough for joining me on the Relate podcast today. It was so great chatting with you. And I really, again, I really appreciate the work that you're doing, the, the care that you take as a filmmaker is so critical in our world. And I think that, as you were mentioning, talking about when you were growing up, you felt like you didn't fit in. And now with what you're doing with indie flicks, sometimes it doesn't feel like it fits in. But with all of that said, what's so amazing about that is that you are a powerful individual, uh, a powerful force who's really bringing important work to the world. So I'm honored that you were able to, to take the time to join me on the podcast. And, and it's really amazing that the work that you're doing. Where, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? I think you can just go to IndieFlix.com. We're, we're doing a big, re oh, this is coming out in a month. So um, yeah, we'll be, just go to IndieFlix.com and you'll be able to learn everything you need about us. It's, kind of doing a rebrand for Thanksgiving. Perfect. Perfect. Well, for our listeners tuning in, be sure to check out the show notes. That link will be provided. Highly recommend checking it out. So Sheila, I have one last question for you before we depart. How can we as a society better relate to one another? Ah, I think we can to be better listeners. I think we move so fast. We're so distracted. We don't need, we can't even sit in a doctor's waiting room or in a line somewhere without looking at our phone. And so I think listening to each other, listening to ourselves, let's just pausing. Listening seems to be a very, very powerful way to relate to each other better, to really hear each other. I have learned that my mission, it's not my mission. I think my purpose here on the planet, I've, I believe I figured it out, is my whole point of being here is to remind people that they matter, that they belong, and that they're heard, right? Like, if there's anything I can do to, to let them know mostly that they matter. And um, I think, you know, a lot of people say prescriptively, like, how do you do that? How do you be a better listener? I think it starts with just being able to quiet your mind, listen to yourself first, that models it for others. And then when you're with someone, just, just practice not trying to come up with the answer before they're finished talking. Try to sit with no judgment 
and just listen to them. And you don't have to fix it. You don't have to change their mind or rescue them or steer them in another direction. Just hear somebody and validate that. And then sometimes all they need is a hug. Sometimes they could, you know, you can say, hey, you want some ideas? But let's just be better listeners. Great. What what a great way to to round out and end this episode for our listeners. So Sheila, thank you so much again. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.